Welcome to the Memories of a Moonbird podcast, exploring life one story at a time. Hello, friends. I'm Daniel Sherl. Can you believe it's been a year? October 14th, 2020 is the first anniversary of the launch of this podcast and my accompanying website, memoriesofamoonbird.com. In honor of that, today's episode is not an interview with someone interesting and inspiring, but rather a story that's hopefully a little bit of both. This episode is a companion piece to a post on my website entitled An Unexpected Blizzard. It's something I tried to record a year ago, but at the time wasn't able to get through for reasons that will become obvious. It continues a profound lesson I learned that I think has never been more relevant than today. So, with no further ado... It's April of 2002. My dad and I are driving up Route 1, the Pacific Coast Highway, in my dark blue Mazda Miata convertible. I'm not a car guy at all, but that version of the Miata was very, very sexy. I love that car. I'd moved to Los Angeles a few years earlier in 1999, and we'd agree to start a tradition. Every year that I'm in California, Dad will visit L.A. for a long weekend, and we'll choose some new adventure to do together. In the years to come, we'll do things like scuba diving at Catalina Island, visiting the big telescope at Mount Palomar, dressing up for the Renaissance Festival, hiking Death Valley, and seeing the space shuttle Endeavor. But now, we're going to visit Yosemite National Park for the first time. I mean, we get to be explorers together, like when I was a little boy and we were in Indian Guides. You children of the 70s and 80s, you know what I'm talking about. Fathers and sons, pals forever. The weather is perfect for a drive with the top down. The wind blowing over us is cool and comfortable, and it's catching the 16 hairs on the top of his otherwise bald head that he clings to like the last leaves of spring on an old oak tree. We've told him for years to just cut the damn things off, but his response is always the same. They protect the solar panel for the sex machine. As I drive, I can't help but notice the similarity of both of our balding heads. His nose droops more than mine has a little scoop at the end, and I wonder if mine's going to do that when I get older, or if it'll remain the way it is because of the mixture of my mom and dad's genetics. Maybe I'll get lucky and my nose will meet me somewhere in the middle. He still looks the same to me. He's always been young-spirited. It's another thing we have in common. I mean, sure, the skin on his neck is starting to sag a little more, and he has more age spots, but overall, he looks the same to me as he always has. He tells me that he's going to retire soon. He's 68 years old, and I think he should have retired already, but he likes to work. At least he's down to part-time now, which is good. We make our way up the winding coast. The expanse of the Pacific Ocean is on our left, and it's just beautiful. We talk about my siblings, and he catches me up on everybody. We talk about Sandy, the woman he's been dating for three or four years now, and how she makes him happy. He tells me that they laugh a lot, which we both agree is one of the most important things in any relationship. I tell him about a girl I met that I've been dating for a little while. She seems really cool. Smart, kind, spiritual. However, she loves Worf from Star Trek The Next Generation, and clearly Picard is the cooler character. Dad obviously agrees, because, you know, bald is beautiful. Nevertheless, I'm excited for him to meet her, and even though our itinerary is a bit tight, our plan is great, because 
we get to enjoy a whole day's ride up the PCH, see our friends in San Francisco for a day, visit Yosemite for a day, and then head back to Los Angeles so Dad can meet the new girlfriend and she and I can get back to making out. On these trips, I always want him to stay longer. But he's fond of reminding me that, quote, fish and guests both stink after four days. We stop to take photos at places like Hearst Castle and Big Sur, and then move on to San Francisco. The next day, our friends take us out to Alcatraz and Pier 39, and later that night, we eat a delicious dinner at the garlic restaurant The Stinking Rose. There's a grin that never gets old that comes across Dad's face whenever he eats a good garlic meal. And the aftermath of a meal like that is yet another reason to have a convertible. The following day, it's hugs and thank yous, and we say goodbye to our friends. It's about four hours from San Francisco to Yosemite. In contrast to the ride up the coast, we're now driving through beautiful rolling hills. We're listening to music, talking some more, and taking note of all the big electric wind turbines that dot the landscape. We're in the groove now. Along the way, we see some old abandoned farmhouses. Dad gets excited. He always gets this smile when he sees time-worn and weathered buildings like that, and it's only a matter of seconds before he has his camera in his hand. Of course, we stop to take pictures. I don't know what it is that fascinates him about the old farmhouses, but it's so fun to watch that I take pictures of him taking pictures of them. As I snap photos, I make a mental note to ask him why they mean so much to him, but by the time we make it back to the car, I forget. We continue on, now listening to a CD, yes, a CD back in the day, called Songs of Sanctuary by Adiemos, a.k.a. Welsh composer Carl Jenkins. I wanted Dad to hear it because he and I love orchestral music, and that album is really good stuff. We see road signs that we're entering Yosemite, and that's good because it's getting closer to sunset, and we're hoping to find our cabin before dark. We keep going, and at some point, we come around a corner in the road, and at the exact same time, we both say out loud, Oh my God. There before us is a scene of what I can only describe as unimaginable beauty. The sun is beginning to set in a sky that's just exploding with golden oranges and reds and yellows, and all of them are hanging over this panoramic view of the entire expanse of the Yosemite Valley. It's a view that, quite honestly, my words or any Instagram photo simply cannot do justice to. And that makes sense because Instagram actually won't be invented for another eight years at that point. We pull a car over once more to take pictures. And when we get out, we realize, ooh, it's much colder than we thought it would be. But we don't care because what we're looking at is that picturesque. My entire life, up until this point, I'd seen photos of Yosemite. I'd seen it in movies and heard others talk about it. But in person, I'm not only in awe, but all I can think about are the Indians and the pioneers, the first people that saw this incredible landscape in a time when the world seemed much simpler. Standing there, I realize I've actually welled up a little. Dad and I enjoy the view for a little while longer and eventually get back in the car. The next day, we talk with the rangers and make a plan for what we want to see. It's a gorgeous day, 70-some degrees again, light breeze, perfect windbreaker hiking weather. First on the list is the Mist Trail hike up to Vernal Falls. It's awesome. We walk for a while, but halfway up the trail, I hear my dad's infamous, 
Oh, crap. I start to laugh because I know what this means. He's lost another lens cap. You see, he's famous for this in our family. He literally loses a lens cap on almost every single trip he takes. This time, though, I'd planned ahead and had shipped him five of them in a little package with a note that said, For Yosemite, with a big smile. I take some photos of him looking around to immortalize the moment, and he looks up at me, shakes his head, and says, laughing, Don't start. I join him on the search for his lens cap, but after a few minutes, I say out loud, I'm afraid that's another one donated to the camera gods. I tell him to just grab one of the spares that I sent him, and he says, I didn't bring them. I wasn't going to give you the satisfaction. And without missing a beat, I hold up the package now in my hand and say, well, feel free to choose one of these three beauties I brought along just in case. Laughing, he begrudgingly takes a new one from me, and we make our way up the trail. The rest of the day and night was amazing. We hiked, we drove around the park, we saw lots of wildlife, we shopped at the gift shop, and we shared a really fun cafeteria meal before drifting off to sleep. In the cabin, not in the cafeteria, just so we're clear. The next morning, while he was still getting ready, I decided to start leisurely loading the car. I grabbed some of the gear, opened up the front door of the cabin, and stopped. Dad, you better come look at this, I said. He walked over, still in his underwear, stopped in his tracks, and said, Holy crap. Apparently, while we'd been sleeping, an unexpected blizzard had rolled in over the park. Everything was covered in three to six inches of snow. The land was blanketed in ice crystals, and the sun was reflecting off of everything. It was beautiful. We both knew it was likely to warm up relatively fast and the snow would melt, so we went into photographer mode, grabbed all of our stuff, threw it in the car, and took off to try and get pictures of everything before it went away. We drove to one of the trailheads we'd planned on visiting that day and strolled through all the snowy trees. I felt like a kid back in the Midwest, smiling and adventuring in the woods. The snow held strong, so we drove even further through the park and stopped to take pictures at several random places. One of them was a little area where you could see the nicest view of Yosemite from the ground. Now, we were almost out of film, so we took a few more snaps of each other, and then, with only four shots left on the roll, I decided to try and capture that majestic, snowy vista in front of us. I didn't know it at the time, but it would be the last portrait I ever shot on film. Dad and I walked back to the car, and when we got there... He looked at the view of the valley all around us and then back at me. He said excitedly, hey, why don't we stay another day? I'll, I'll take care of the cabin and the money. Don't worry about it. You know, look, we can hike some more and see some more of the sights. What do you think? It sounded nice. It really did. But I really wanted to get back to L.A. and back to smooching that girl I was dating. Now, at this point, it's worth mentioning that from the early days of my life, when I discovered what girls and boobs were, I made a bunch of really stupid decisions for the sake of my hormones. In later years, my dad would offer comfort and say, you don't own the patent on that. In other words, the wrong head was making decisions. Oh, I really appreciate it, dad, I said, but I think we ought to get on the road and just get back home. He smiled. Okay, I go where the car goes. We drove back to Los Angeles. Dad met the wharf lover. We all hung out for a bit, had a nice time. Dad went home. And a matter of weeks later, as you can predict, she and I broke up. 
I really wish that he hadn't always gone where the car went. Chapter 2 It's August of 2018. I'm holding his hand. He's dying. He's laying in a hospital bed in his bedroom in Ohio. The hospice nurse is in the living room. It's just he and I alone. There's a bird feeder outside his window, and I'm watching some robins that land and eat some seed, look at me, and then fly away. Then they come back and repeat the dance. There's also a family of rabbits on the ground, mom, dad, and their little kit. The baby bunny is so cute that I just can't help but smile. I tell dad about them. I describe them to him. He isn't speaking anymore. There's just the sound of his breathing, but the nurse assures me that he can hear everything. He's only 84. I thought he was going to live well into his 90s, if not beyond. I've been sitting by his side for days, and every day there's just a little bit less of him there. It's confusing and frustrating. I mean, this wasn't supposed to happen. I had plans to take him overseas. Even though he walked with a cane or sometimes needed a wheelchair because of his spinal stenosis, we still talked about him taking a trip. I mean, there's so many cool travel options these days for people with disabilities. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't want to be angry, but I am. I'm so angry that Dr. Crusher from Star Trek isn't walking into his room and giving him a hypo spray that will kill the cancer and bring him back to life. I'm so angry at all the people in LA for wasting my time. Or maybe, maybe I'm angry at me for letting them do it when I could have been hanging out with him. I mean, how did he get old? And, and more than that, how did I not see it? He always looked the same to me. And yet here he is looking more like a skeleton than my father. The hospice nurse told me it was important to say all the things that I'd always wanted to. Everyone told me not to cry in front of him, to be strong for the person dying. And for the last few months, I have been, as have my six siblings and all of our family and friends. But not now. Now I'm like a 12-year-old boy living in an emotional rawness that I never knew existed. I'm holding his hand with both of mine, and it's the last time I get to say what I want to. I tell him how sorry I am for all of the stupid things that I've done over the years. I tell him how sorry I am that I didn't come see him more often. I tell him that despite the geographical distance, I know we had more time together than a lot of fathers and sons do. But it's not enough. It wasn't enough. And then... Suddenly realizing that I've been carrying it around for 16 years, I break down and begin sobbing and telling him how sorry I am that I didn't stay with him another day in Yosemite. I am simply unable to, to hold back the tears anymore. I try. I try to be strong, but he's dying and I don't want to forget how his hand feels. I don't want to forget his smile or, or the sound of his voice or his laughter. And I'm scared that I will. I'm scared that, that I didn't do enough. 
that I wasn't there enough. And now, now it's too late. And that little baby bunny keeps looking at me. So I weep. My eyes are blurry from the tears and I can't wipe them away because I don't want to let go of his hand. And then I feel my dad's hand begin to squeeze mine. Then he slowly lifts his other hand and sets it on top of mine. His eyes are still closed and he isn't speaking, but he says everything that I needed to hear. Chapter 3, October 14th, 2020. Here we are. I'm telling you this story on the first anniversary of the launch of the podcast, a little over two years since my dad died. Why? Because this experience changed my relationship with regret, sadness, and what we choose to call negative emotions. I should have stayed another day in Yosemite with my father. I still wish I had. People try to tell you that you shouldn't regret the choices you make in your life. We live in a world that's so full of fear, and we're surrounded by social media and desperate marketing messages screaming at us from every direction that we aren't whole if we don't feel happy most of the time. Society convinces us that negative emotions are bad, that they make you weak, and they're a waste of time. The opposite is true. The wholeness, the mindfulness that so many seek, which consistently escapes them, comes from embracing all of our emotions, not cherry-picking the ones that are convenient and feel the best. Regret teaches us some of the most valuable and often painful lessons of our lives, and the key is to learn the lesson, become wiser because of it, and move forward stronger smarter, and better equipped to handle what comes next. Life is enriched by both good and bad experiences. You can't have one without the other. Light and dark, good and bad, yin and yang, whatever way you want to look at it. I should have stayed another day in Yosemite with my father. I messed up. <laughs> Man, I messed up. And that's okay, because I'm a human being. And so are you. It took me years to realize that it's okay that we mess up. Human life is messy, and the happy life that everyone seems to be so much in pursuit of only comes when we're honest about who we really are. Who we really, really are. In closing, my hope is that the lessons I've learned from the mistakes I've made in my life and losing my father will inspire you in a positive way. Spend more time with the people you love, but just be honest with yourself about it. You're going to get annoyed with them. You're going to be impatient with them, and you're going to take your time with them for granted because that's also part of what it means to be human. But I hope that you try to keep perspective and remember that they, and you, won't be around forever. So give them that extra moment of patience, that extra moment of understanding, and enjoy your time and the memories you make with them. And lastly, ask your loved ones all the questions that you want answers to now, because I still don't know why my dad loved old farmhouses. Mm -hmm.